All right. Um, let me tell you guys about, you know, I, everywhere I go here the last season here, I keep running into these situations where, you know, I, I feel like, like Paul gave me a word one time, and which I received, because uh, it hits a lot of different areas of my experience in my walk with God. Uh, when I went to walk to Emmaus, most of you have been there. Some of you haven't. You need to go if you haven't. But there's a moment there where God asked me a question. And he asked it to me several times. Uh, would you be like John the Baptist? And uh, I thought, of course, stupid me. I always say, well, oh, yeah. And then later, what that mean? But I said, yeah. And uh, without really understanding at the time what he did, uh, I tried to figure it out, uh, but really it was just a you know wild guess. I know that John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord. There's a lot to be said about John the Baptist, but the one thing that really stood out, like 20 years later, uh, even later than that, 25 years later, was when Paul came and told me this that he had had a dream. And in that dream, at the last days, there would be prophets that would arise who would clothe the bride. They would be friends of the bridegroom. That is what John the Baptist was. Friend of the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom in the Jewish uh, culture would help clothe the bride. Prepare the bride for her, for her groom. And that was my call. And I, boy, it clicked. You know, it connected to my walk through mess. Would you, asking, God asking me, would you be like that? Would you do that for me? And so I uh, have really wanted to do that. It was if I put it together like that. Prepare the bride for the groom. He's coming. All right, so he's, he's coming. A lot of stuff ahead of us on this. Now, <clears throat> as I have proceeded forward in that calling, I keep running into the Ephesians 5 thing. You know, how should the bride be? According to Ephesians 5, she should be without spot and wrinkle and blemish, holy, uh, blameless. All these things, you know, she's beautiful in his sight. Uh, he loves her, and then he speaks truth to her, which takes care of issues that need to change. But he presents her to himself as a glorious church, glorious, like God's glory. And so... That's, I know, the, 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 a picture of what the calling is. But what I've run into is that which prevents the calling from, uh, that from happening. Uh, there are spots. There are wrinkles and blemishes. There are divisions in the body of Christ. And that's one thing that cannot happen because Jesus prayed. He actually prayed for his bride in John 17. When he said, Father, I pray that they would be one, even as we are one. And that's the way a husband and a wife are supposed to be, right? The two shall become one. And so, when he's praying for, I pray that they be one, I mean, in a sense, he's praying for his bride. I want her to be what I want. You know, the bridegroom gets a choice in this, don't you think? He should. He's not going to stop with something. I want her. So part of this bringing her into unity 
by, by necessity, I guess, reveals what is not in unity, you know, what is divided. And there are fault lines all across the body of Christ. Uh, those fault lines are racial. You know, you go to churches all over America, go to a black church, you find mainly black people. You go to a white church, mainly white people. Uh, and on and on it goes. Racial. Uh, other fault lines, sex. You know, we were pitting men against women. To the point now where in our current society, we don't know what you were. And they're even teaching in Sweden, uh, babies from the age of three, to not give them a sex, but to let them know at some point you'll know. At some point you'll know. Isn't that ridiculous? So, those are another fault line. Is, is along the lines of the, the sexes. The battle of the sexes has always been there. And on and on it goes. And so, uh, I, in the last year or so, really have run into it uh, in the body as far as the racial division. You know, there's a serious collision going on there. And, uh, uh, and it manifests itself uh, in the political realm by who you vote for. And we out here think that if you're a Christian, you're going to vote Republican, right? I'm a right. You don't have to shout me out, but I know I'm right. Because why? Because the Democrats are the Democrats. Correct? Which is true. Unless you live in California, and all you hear is news saying that Trump is the Antichrist. And Obama was a good guy. And if you heard that 24-7, which is what news is nowadays, what would you end up believing? The lie. Well, maybe we're in the lie side. Who knows, right? So, my point is, we need to fix the problem. Houston, we have a problem, don't we? And I ran into it again here in Andrews, you know. And so, uh, it really came up uh, with uh, the the black church and, and, and the white churches. And, and, and I ran smack into it. And out of all that, I feel like comes the answer, how do you fix it? Because it's so deep. It goes back, back literally hundreds of years in some respects. Even longer than some in others. How do you fix that? There's got to be an answer, folks. Because the prayer of Jesus is that it would be fixed. Amen? It's got to be fixed. So, we've tried arguing, have we not? Have you not entered into the argument realm? Well, this is my point. Well, I don't care about your point. This is my point. And the points are being made. And uh, facts are being shared. And we're getting worse, not better. So, I want to talk to you about that a little bit today. Turn with me in First John chapter 3. We've read the scripture a bunch of times here lately. Because it speaks to the condition of the church again. When Jesus does return for his bride, this is a reality. It's almost like hard to believe, actually. First John 3. Behold, verse 1, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us 
that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because they did not know him. Beloved, this is the key part. Now we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, when he returns, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is an awesome statement. And as you look at the church today, it ain't so. Because there's no disunity in, in him at all. There's no schism in Christ and the Godhead. And, and yet it says when he comes back, we will see him like he is without all these divisions because we will be like him in every way. It's an amazing statement. So, look at verse 3. Everyone who has this hope, what we just said, who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So that thought should drive us to do something about myself, my condition. Purifies himself. That word purify is from the same root as holy. There's a root meaning holiness. So it's you know, separate and different. And uh, it, it signifies uh, uh, an act done to purify itself meant to, uh, is so that you could do Divine service, like a priest. Well, and we are all called to be priests in the kingdom of God. So to purify yourself is to prepare yourself to do what you're called to do. Priesthood. It also is to prepare yourself to be a bride. So see, brides prepared themselves for the wedding day. And not just the idea of being uh, chaste, but virginal. Look over at Second Corinthians 11 real quick. You see the same word over there. Second uh, Corinthians 11. Verse 2, Paul says, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And there's that word purify. Chaste virgin to Christ. So that's where he wants to take us. You know, and as we see him as he is, well, our portion of that is the bride part of that. And the two shall become one. So that's where we want to go. Now, can we get there is the question, you know. That there's some stuff to be done, obviously. Look in Second Peter. Second Peter. Amazing scripture here. One of my favorites. Chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtain like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, so we have gained faith. You can say faith is a, was given to us or you know was made available for us, whatever. And there it is. We have faith if we exercise it right. By this faith, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life, that's Zoe life, godly life, all things that pertain to life with God and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we, having given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers 
of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Doesn't that sort of connect to the scripture in John? We will see him as he is because we will be like him. The divine nature will be in us because it is in him. So we can partake of it. That word partake is this Greek word koinonia. It's a great word. We fellowship. We give and take. We give and take. We sit at the same table and talk about it. We don't push each other away. We actually try to find a place to join. So koinonia with God brings us to this place of partaking of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now then, from this point forward, this guy, Peter, is going to give us eight things, uh, principles or virtues or uh, fruits or whatever you want to call them. But if you want to use some words to describe, in some sense, what the divine nature is, you're fixing to see it. Here's a picture of, or a picture of the divine nature. So let's pick it up, verse 5. For this very reason, the divine nature, giving all diligence. In other words, you should really focus on this deal. Don't split your attention to anything else. Focus. Add to your faith. So there's one part of the divine nature, faith. Without faith, you can't please God. God honors faith. He is a faithful God. So, number one, faith. Number two, add to your faith, virtue. Virtue is a great word. Um, it's this word, Greek word, erite. Erite means excellence. Now, don't you think that describes God? He is excellent in his ways. And actually, we get that virtue uh, from him. It says that he called us to this faith by his glory and virtue in verse 3. It's his virtue. So I can add his excellence to my life. That's a pretty high standard, you know what? It's a good standard. It's something you should focus yourself to. And folks, I go to give you every one of these things, and in one way, it's impossible. But in the, in the other way, it is actually what we're called to do. Because God has given us the grace to do it. It's from God, but it awaits our amen. Our agreement with it. We have a part to play here. And I think the bigger part is it's from God. Without Him, we can't get there, period. You work yourself to death. You're not going to get these things. But, you're not going to get these things without putting yourself into the equation. You've got to walk with God and believe that God can do these things in you. So He can add His excellence to your life. He can. Don't sell for us. When you see yourself selling, stop yourself. Next one. You add to that knowledge. And that is the Greek word gnosis. And it is not, it is, we're not talking about just discovering facts. That's one of our problems. Turn on the news, you'll get a lot of facts. And people spin the facts to be whatever they want to coach you into doing. This doesn't point to that. This knowledge points you to revelation of God. Ephesians 1 says the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of Him. So I want to know not just facts, but who He is. You know, I can fax it. You can have it all, all day long. Show me something I don't know. Show me something I, that my eyes have not seen. 
something comes not from Google. No, it comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. So it comes from God. So knowledge. That's a good one. You add to knowledge <clears throat> self-control. Woohoo! This is a kicker, man. Self-control. Anybody been having problems with that lately? Mm-hmm. What is the problem now? Self-control. If we looked at it, just from the language itself, I think it might actually help us. It means to master your passions. To have master over your passions. Is that where your problems have been? In your passions? The things that kind of overwhelm you? Because you want it? You do it through God's power. The word is enkratia. The word en is the instrument through which things come. And that instrument is the Holy Spirit. And Colossia is the power of God. It's the highest level of the power of God. So you're literally letting in the power of God, not your fire, his fire, to come here and actually overwhelm your desire. It's an amazing thing where you can really say no when no is what is needed. Instead of always falling. There's a point in the process where you can say, you know, I'm not going to have that Twinkie. Whatever. <laughs> she is not mine today. That Twinkie. Self-control. It comes from God. The next one. Perseverance. That means you do not give up. Life has its problems. Actually, God lets them in. Do you know that? If you do not let problems in life into someone's life, as you raise kids, for example, if you do not let them struggle with life, you will have a spoiled brat when they get 18. Problems and the ability to handle the problem and suffer throughout the process develops character in you. Character. And that character is actually defined in the next word, godliness. That perseverance brings godliness into your life. Like God. Uh, the word godliness, uh, let me look at that real quick, is a proper attitude toward God. What is your proper attitude toward God, do you think? What's the proper attitude toward God, folks? That's a great question, isn't it? Is God an option on a series of things that you could do today? That's a lousy attitude. It's not proper. What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear God. So if he gets an option on, a, on your iPhone, I'm not sure you got it with the right place. The priority needs to be rearranged. Okay? Piety toward God. A proper attitude toward God. He is God and I'm not. It's a holiness thing, again. It's like holiness. So i got to respect what God respects. i got to love what he loves. I have to hate what he hates. I have to get myself in alignment with him. And understand that he's God, I'm not. So if I run into something where I'm wrong, then can I just be wrong for once? We've talked about this a million times. We know that we're all wrong every once in a while. Just not today. Right? I was wrong yesterday. But today, you can count on it. I'm not wrong. Well, check out godliness. That's also given to us by God in verse 3. 
And then from there, he gives us two words, verse 7, brotherly kindness and love. And both those are actually Greek words for love. Brotherly kindness is the word phileo. The word love there is the Greek word agape. There are four Greek words for the concept of love. He mentions two of them. Now, the other two, I'll just throw off the top of your head, is one, I think, storge or something like that, uh, which is like a motherly love or a family love. Uh, father for his son, mother for all of her kids. Uh, well, you get my point. It's, 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 you don't have to earn it. You get it. When you have a kid, you don't understand story game. Bam! You cannot stop loving that kid. Right? Until they can become a teenager. And it's kind of debatable. Takes a lot of perseverance at that moment to get through this moment so you can, you know, escape. And the other one is Eros. It's the romantic kind of love. Erotic. And, you know, that's what attracts us to one another, uh, male and female, uh, in the old days. <laughs> so, in the Bible, I mean, I think you take it all, the word love. And the Bible speaks to all of it. Both Old Testament and New Testament. And in the Old Testament it has words as well that speak more or less to one of the same things in the Greek. Now, if you notice, the first one is brotherly kindness or phileo. It's just being a friend. Friendliness. I like you. You know, let's hang out together. That kind of thing. You know, you're my bud. Friends. Agape is the deeper level of love or the higher level of love. It is the love that God used to send his son to die for all of you. God so agape the world that he gave his son. He'll do anything to save you. You give your life for that. He'll give his son's life for that. Pretty heavy love. And it's interesting to me, they're, they're all important. I mean, I can't take this brotherly kindness thing, phileo thing off the table. It is like the next to last step, right? Of the godly divine nature. He's a friend. Abraham. Friend of God. Friend. There's nothing wrong with being friends. And I would say that for the most part in the body of Christ, you have a level of friendship. But the minute I run into disagreements, like serious disagreements, like what truth it should be, then phileo kind of has a way of backing away. And the only thing that will answer the problem is agape. It's the only answer. Because love covers the multitude of sins. All the things that are wrong. Nothing comes up that it can't handle. It is indestructible. All right. Now, he says all these them, characteristics of the divine nature... And if you, he said, if you just do these things, verse 8, if these things are yours and about, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, 
Verse 11, and the interest will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, all these things you need to pay attention to. Because if you do, the divine nature can be yours and, and it coincides with or is a part of him opening the door into the kingdom for you. You can live in the kingdom of God, which is what we're wanting to do. Amen? Are they with me? All right. Jesus talked about this. Look over in uh, Mark. Mark 12. An interest will be ministered to you into the kingdom of God. Mark 12, look at verse 34. They're talking about this, this thing, Jesus and these scribes. And Jesus saw this one man answered him wisely. And he said to him, you are not, are not far from the kingdom of God. So this man was not far from what we just read in Peter. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Why did he tell him that? Because he saw that this man answered the question that was before them all at that time. He answered it wisely. Or in the King James, I really prefer the King James. He answered him discreetly. Discreetly. And here's what discreet means. In a modest way. Unpretentious. Now, can you take that word and apply it to any of the news networks? And the way they present stuff. Modestly? Really? It's just a fight. A debate. A match. Unpretentious. You're not assuming the other person is going to hell because he doesn't agree with you. Which is what they're doing. And the Christian world is out there listening to this. Do you think it affects you? You'd be a fool to think otherwise. Because the Bible is very clear. You should take heed what you hear. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good lifestyle. Don't be deceived. You think it's not affecting you? You're a fool. Of course it is. You may not know it, but that's not up to you to even know. What you should know is what the Bible says about it. And then obey that unto godliness. Thank God sits around all the time wondering what MSNBC has an opinion about. Think he cares? I don't think he cares at all. Why, why do I spend my time just to that drill? Amen. Don't shout me down here because I'm on such a roll. But now I would ask the question, what did he get commended for? He got commended by the way he answered the question that was before the court. At that time. So let's go up to verse 28 and find out what was before them. One of the scribes came and, having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked Jesus, Which is the first commandment of all? Or the greatest commandment? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, and this is what they call the Sheba, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This is the first commandment. In other words, 
everything in me. Completely in. Love him all the way. And the second, verse 31, like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandments greater than these. The scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all your heart, understanding, soul, strength, and to love one's neighbor as yourself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, which is how the law dictated that we should worship God. So everything that they had, and they had 660-something commandments, none of that equaled these two. It fulfilled it all. And then Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom. Okay? But you notice he didn't say that you are in it. You're not in the kingdom. You're closing in on it. So there must be something more. What Jesus quoted to these Jews was the law. Now, in the Ten Commandments, we all have been sending your kids that little deal with the Rick Doles, and I think it's been really good. The Ten Commandments are roughly uh, five are for how you love God and five are for how you love your, your neighbor. Okay? The Ten Commandments. Now, Jesus said the first commandment is that you will love God with all this stuff. That is not in what God wrote on, you know, in, in the Cecil B. Mill movie. You know, on the mountain. On the Ten Tablets. He didn't put all that. You'll see what he put later. But neither did he put love your neighbor. That's not in there. What he put was a way in which you do those things. Later on, they, they, they read this and said, okay, in a summary fashion, what these first five commandments says is love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, blah, blah, Okay? And the second part, love your neighbor as yourself is in the book of Leviticus, and it's not in those ten commandments. They just took those, those five sections of the of those ten, and said, this is sort of summarizing it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we, we do that this way. It's the golden rule. Do you all know what the golden rule is? I'm assuming a lot of things these days, and I find out nobody knows it anymore. Does everybody know what the golden rule is? Anybody? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's all King James right there. Which we don't follow you. So, that's sort of like the second commandment. Nice way of summarizing it. Well, the, with that, those ten commandments, and this guy knowing what the real essence of it was, Jesus tells him, you're not far from the kingdom. What is lacking? John, let me look. Seven. John 13. Yeah. John 13. You know, I, I really didn't realize this until this came along. That this, that we're about to read, was the first time it was ever used by Jesus. Here we are. And Josh got open this the other day. This section of John starts like, I don't think, verse chapter 13, I believe it was starts. Yeah. And for like four or five chapters, it's nothing but red letters. Which means you should pay attention. 
It's Jesus talking. And talking on the last day of his ministry. I mean, after this, he goes off to be crucified. It's his last shot at his, at his disciples. And so there's a lot said in, in this section of John. It's all excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. It's so different than the rest of them. But in John 13, look in verse 34. A new commandment. Okay, he hasn't said this before then. So in the previous three years, he has not said this yet, which kind of blew me away. A new commandment I give to you, that you love agape one another. We're going beyond the friendship thing. A new commandment, that you agape one another as I have loved you, saying agape. That you also love one another. And look at 35. By this, all will know, the whole world will know, that you are my disciples if you have agape for one another. Now, it's not just that you are disciples, no, his disciples. See, there's disciples out there all over the place. There's disciples of Islam. Do they agape you? No, they want to blow you up. So his disciples, it'll get at the end when he comes back. You'll see this. What he just commanded right there. The whole world will know this. That you are his disciples. You are Christians by that one thing. How good are we doing? Loving one another. It's a real question, isn't it? Well, as long as you agree with me and you don't jack with me, we're good. I don't think that's quite the standard. Shoot, we have a hard time in marriage loving one another. In fact, I think that's the laboratory that God gave us to understand what it is. Men, how many men have been married over five years? Let's see your hand. Over ten. Keep your hand up. Ten? Fifteen? Twenty? Holy Lord. Okay, what's stop right there? Twenty years. Do you understand your wife yet? Do you all think the life? Do you see things the same way? After twenty freaking years, you hadn't changed her? Or she hasn't changed you? So there you are. What is the only answer, guys? And what does he tell you men to do to your wife as Christ does the church? Agape her. I'm not talking about, oh, baby. No. That's Eros. And it's BS about half the time. Just tell the truth. Now this, I'm not going to kill you today. Maybe tomorrow. Or I'm going to shut my mouth right now before I really get in trouble. I'm going to think about it. When I really want to say something, I'm going to say nothing and think about it. Well, you know, you get my point. Love is patient. What? And I'd like to knock you into left field when you go bring home another I saved you money moment. But love doesn't take a record of the wrong when I get a visa bill. There's a record right there. What am I supposed to do with that? 
Forget it. So, there's your laboratory for agape. And the same thing is supposed to go across the body of Christ. How do you tell a black man what he ought to do? Well, you ain't never been one. I don't know what it's like to be a black man. You get it? This is the commandment. Okay, so... So that the world will know. Now, an interesting thing here is this is in the upper room. He's going to do the Lord's Supper. In fact, he is there about to do it. But before he pulls the trigger on this thing, before he gives them this commandment, look at verse 18. Look, see, you see that little caption above it? Jesus identifies his betrayer. And in 21 he says, Jesus said these things when he was troubled in his spirit and testified, said, Most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And Judas immediately did it and left. So before the commandment, and this is interesting, before the commandment to really get real about this love thing, there will be those that will betray it. Before we even get it out of our mouth, do you think that might happen again? The Bible speaks about before this thing really cranks it, there will be a great falling away first. Apostasy. They were there. Judas was a part of them for three years. And at the last day, out of here, right before he gets the commandment, this is what will bring you to the end. He played his whole card. Money won. Oh, God, I wasn't that guy. Well, no problem, right? Immediately after the commandment comes the test. The test. Look at the caption above 36. Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Oh, wow. Let's just read it. Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me at now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. That sounds like a copy to me. <laughs> Jesus says, really? Really? Will you lay down your life for me? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you deny me three times. You ain't got a copy, Peter. Here comes the test. Isn't it interesting? It's a test. It's a crazy thing. He gives the command to do what? What's the command? One another. Love each other. And you can't get past the first thing that loves each other. You can't love God. Not on your own. He's going to put you to the test. Oh, are you going to love each other? Well, do you even love God? Woo, here he comes. And I mean, it's a good test. It'll knock you down. Well, you're begging him, and then when he comes back and says, Peter, down, do you love me? <laughs> I thought I did. And here's how that goes. Peter, do you adopt me? And Peter says, oh, Lord, I phileo you. And he says, Peter, do you adopt me? Lord, you know I phileo you. He would never say it. And then Jesus tells him, well, do you play on me? I mean, he will test you. And here's the good news. 
If you get this far, you're going to find out that you do love him. But you will be reduced and humbled by the whole process where you know that the reason you do is because he first loved you. You had to receive it in order to get it. That's the truth. You can't generate this stuff, but you can receive this stuff. Amen? And the Bible is later, but God, this guy has it nailed. And first I said, how do you love a God that you do not see? And say you love them people that you don't see. Oh, well, I got it backwards. If I say I love you, how can it be true if I don't even love the one I can't see? Folks, if, I'm really messing this up, but here's the deal. What we, what we will see as we go through this thing forward, as we go forward, as we, how we treat one another is going to be an indicator, not so much of how you treat one another. It's going to be an indicator of your walk with God. Jesus said, if you, if you hate me, if they hate me, know this, they, if, if they come to you, and they're going to start persecuting you, okay? You. Know this, that before they hated you, they hated him. So when you start seeing the fruit down here, know this first. That he first didn't like Jesus. So what you see going up here is what's going to start coming out down here. So you know if, if, if this stuff is going on, don't worry about their state with you. You should be praying about their state with God. They're not even walking with him. They can claim all day that they're a priest of his. doesn't matter. You'll know about their fruits. You'll know about the fruits. And the first fruit is love. If you don't have that one, you got nothing. John 17. Jesus doesn't leave it alone. He begins to pray for this end. The world will know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another. The world will know. Look at verse 20 of John 17. Jesus is praying for all of us. He says, I do not pray for these alone, those twelve, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. And here comes the second issue, unity. There's no division in God. And when he comes back, when Jesus comes back, there should be no division in us. Because we're going to be like him. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Another, another witness to the world that Jesus was sent. Number one, that we love one another. Number two, that we are unified. Those two witnesses to the world. Look at verse 23. So, the unity thing. He says, as I am in you and you're in me. Look at verse 23. Here's, the, here's how that process goes. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. So, it comes down from heaven. God himself. Father God. Entering into Jesus. And then Jesus, with Father God, entering into us. goes this way. Okay? So he comes in. What's coming in? The divine nature. The divine nature is coming in to us. So how does that happen? 26. I have declared... I'm sorry, back up to 23. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in one, 
the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. All right, so here's, here's the key thing. The end of Peter's eight steps was agape. I'm interested in the kingdom. It is yours. Jesus' command for us is agape. Well, we cannot give it, as we always have said, unless we have received it. So God, as he comes into us, brings his love into us. Folks, it's, it's not our version of it. It's his. And his love comes into us. When, it's, when his love is, is running the show, honestly, and, and I think most of you will have seen this in your marriage by now. When his love is running the show, you stay together. Amen? You get over the problem. You believe in one another. You get off the ground. You do what's necessary to fix it. You keep walking together. It just causes you to come. Have you noticed this? Probably you have. Some of the best times of marriage are after a fight. Am I right? You gain ground. I'm not talking about weirdness enough. No arrows here. So something out there as well. But I know it's like, well, sister, when we have a fight, we've had three. Three hundred? Three something. Every time what comes out of that is we gain ground together. Things fall away that shouldn't have been there. Understanding comes where there was darkness. You become more one. This is the process. That, what I just described to you, is love. The agape of God. So he, he the killer of that scripture means that God wants the world to know that he loves you, Josh. You, Michael. You, Josh. Josh is all over the place. And Michael's all over the place. Shotgun. He loves you. Just like he loves Jesus. Oh, man. That first hit down on me. I can't, I can't handle that. No, 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 no. You don't know who I am. You could never love me like you love Jesus. Because he never did anything wrong. But there he said it. Can you receive it? That's the real question. Boy, it penetrates. It humbles you. It makes you want to purify yourself. Doesn't it? Not because you're supposed to. You want to. Real difference. 26. And I have declared to them your name. And I will declare that the love with which you love me may be in them. And I in them. How can he be in us and God's love in us? Well, he declares his name. It's a trigger. Declaring the name of God matters because it is the entrance into the kingdom. Crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Well, who is God? Well, when you declare his name, biblically you are declaring who he is. If I say Jody, Jody, when I mention your name, it should bring a connotation of your character. What is Jody? Are you honest? See, I think you're honest. Now, I'm not talking to you why. About you. But you get the point. 
When someone says, Larry Bird, what, what do you think? I know what some people think of this. <laughs> Don't ask them. You should prove who you are. You should like, be a man of your, of your own word. Are you true to your word? When you say something, do you do your dead level best to do it or not? When you declare a name, you declare what that person is made out of. So when he, Jesus and I will declare his name, I'm going to declare who God is so that his love can be in you. Then what does that all mean? Look at first John. First John 4. You can take all of John's writings, the, the Gospel of John, and the three books of John, and even the book of Revelation. And you'll have an angle on the love of God like nobody else had. He, he walked with God. Which is crazy when you just think about this. Because especially when you start reading this scripture. He didn't start out like that. Him and his brother, James, James and John, were known as the, the sons of Zebedee. They were known as sons of thunder. Does that, does that sound friendly to you? Thunder? Well, yeah, they kind of lived up to their name. They were very zealous for him when they were marching to Jerusalem. There was a, a city there that didn't want to receive him. And they said, well, you want to just call down fire from heaven and consume him? Like Elijah did. They were religious. What kind of person does that? Well, a lot of us, right? God, you want me to just kill all the demons today and do you a favor? Let just do it right now. Think that's where it's gone? So this guy, uh, evidently, was quite the character. And you can look at the chastening of the Lord in someone's life and see what kind of person they are and what, you know, the things that God has to work out in them. You know, if, if you're the kind of person, I'll use me as an example since y'all have no honesty about your own life. What do you think God would do with someone who is really competitive? Well, the first year this person like me, who would be that competitive person, the first year that he enters the ministry, what would you do if you were God? Well, I would take his favorite team, who would probably be his idol, and make him go 1-15. That would be the Cowboys. Oh, God would have nothing to do with that. Really? It was my fault. And they didn't get any better for a long time. 1-15. Yay. One fifteen, or he could be playing basketball, and as he's just you know playing the game, trying to block a shot, dislocate his finger. What why? Where were the angels? Look at John. Okay. Well, I give you one more for me. Someone like me. To me, you know, driving somewhere like Colorado, it's a race. Where's Jessica? Is she here today? Crud. 
So it's not fun unless you get there first, right, before everybody else. And so what would you do to a guy like that? I've had those. Tickets. Because there might be another issue at play as well, like love of money. Oh, God. And out of all that, out of this chastening that God sends your way, he birthed revelation in the knowledge of him. It's crazy. Out of those things, I get paint within the lines. A whole series that was pretty bad gun good. I'm sitting there with a ticket. I want a stupid ticket. I get a stupid ticket. There's, there's also an issue with a sense of justice. It's amazing how you hit several things with one shot. <clears throat> and then in the midst of my, you know, rejoicing of the chasing of the Lord because He loves me so much, oh, I can just steam coming out of my ears because I'm just, I'm just a brownfield. I'm going to Colorado. One hour away. And God speaks to me as clear as I've ever heard. I want you to paint within the lines. Hello. Okay. Now let's look at John. You know what his last notable chastening was? Other than the fact he got rebuked by Jesus all the time. Because he's always debating with everybody who's the greatest in the kingdom. Right? He's always there. He's in the middle of the argument, always. He's always trying to be sitting next to Jesus, always. And he had never had a special relationship with Jesus because he could describe himself as the one that Jesus loved. So what was his final hoorah before he gets the book of Revelation? Before he gets the message about the end of all things for God's people, what's he get? Boiled in oil. And he survived it. Wow. (laughs) And out of that, he writes these amazing books about love. (laughs) Is it worth it? Maybe it's worth it. Because you're getting the revelation of who he is. First John 4, I see if this even matters anymore. Yeah, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God, and he knows God. That's a great line. See, if you know God, you start loving. He who does not love does not know God. God is love. You don't know what the divine nature is? I just said it. God is love. Crazy. We love him because he first loved us. That was verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. See, the beauty of God is that he doesn't wait for you to move. He moves first. And he moves the most crazy sometimes. He moved on my life when I was not even watching for him. In fact, I'd already reached a place in my life where I 
Yeah, you know, I was raised in the church, but I got to a place where I didn't even believe there was a God. And uh, I was in Vegas, not there to, to find him. I was there to, to get stoned and play at the, the casino. So, uh, I'm not suggesting anything. And out of nowhere, God shows up and loves me. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. Changed my life. Changed the course of my life. And I became a preacher because of that. So, I am telling you all these things because I am convinced that this is the only answer for the issues that we have in the bride. It is the only answer. Now, there's other attributes to it, and we'll get into those later, but you start there. God is love. And if you want His divine nature, you can't go any further than that. You have to start there, because that's where you did start. You're saved because He first loved you. All right? And from there, you should begin to produce that same seed that he sowed. And it is love. And so as I run into all these things that, that I see are necessary to clothe the bride, I'm not going to go in there and win the deal with a better argument. I'm Shoot, folks. I mean, I was trained to be an arguer. Lawyer. That's what they teach you to do. And make sure you've got your facts straight and all that. It'll never get there. So, and it took a black man to tell me that. After hearing him say some of the most ridiculous stuff I've ever heard in my life as a, as a preacher. And then him telling me, Brother, when you told me that you love me, when a man like you tells a man like me, I love you, man, it makes a difference. I'm like, sure. it makes a difference. Wow, you just changed me. You made a difference. You broke my heart. I don't want to make sure you know that you're wrong. That is not my goal. My goal is to find a way where we can come together and everyone see Jesus. He'll fix it all. Amen. Amen. Well, I just pray that we can enter into this. And you know, I don't. Uh, I think the first attribute of any of this is humility. You know, I, I can say all day long, "Oh, I want to do that." I want to do those eight steps in Peter. Uh, there's no way. But with you, all things are possible. And my hope is Christ in me. The hope of glory. And so I know it'll be done with me if I choose to humble myself under the mighty hand of God and walk with Him. Acknowledging that he is God. I'm not God. Perhaps I could be his servant. 
I want that, God. We want that. I'll pray for this church. That the city of refuge would live up to its name. Those who trust God. Really trust God. As you lead us into situations which are troubling, hard to handle, beyond our understanding. But we trust God with the outcome. And that God has sent us into such situations. And if he's for us, who could be against us? So, uh, I love you, God. We, this church, we love you. And now we know it was because you first loved us. Very humbling and also very, very good. It's so pure. I'm not worried about it because I didn't do it. You did it. So I can stand on firm ground knowing that you love me because you chose to. I receive it. We receive it. Now make it real in our lives with true fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen. See you all tonight at 6.30.